Uh, again, if you're uh, visiting today, uh, we're glad that you're here with us this morning. Uh, we will start a new series in a couple of weeks. And uh, if you have been re at Redeemer long enough, you know that we usually preach through books of the Bible. That's kind of the re Reformed tradition, a high view of the Scriptures. And so we take a book, we go through the book. Uh, no author or poet would want you to take out pages. You might miss the point. And so we do that. But uh, I have a freestanding sermon. So I had the whole Bible to choose from. And so I thought to myself, what would I like to preach on today? <clears throat> well, we're always going to preach the gospel. The, the, the whole Bible is about the person and work of Christ. It's not about rules. It's not about regulations. It's about God's mercy and grace in the person and work of Christ. God in the flesh, living the life we don't live, to die the death we deserve, to be raised from the dead. But the reason I chose Ephesians 2 in these 10 verses is because it clearly lays out what the gospel is. That it has nothing to do with us. That's the good news. It's not good advice. And oh, my friends, every worldview that's out there that's not a Christ-centered worldview, there's a lot of, uh, within our own denominations, whether it's Presbyterian or Baptist or Roman Catholic or Eastern Orthodoxy, confuse us because we blend the gospel with our works. And the reason I titled this sermon, if you'll look at it, Dead to Grace, is because you are either alive in Christ and alive in the grace, or you're dead to it. And the essence of being dead to grace is when you confuse and you mingle the work of Christ with your works. Faith plus works. And I think the Bible's clear about this. And I'm here to tell you today that there's great news that according to the gospel, every sin that you've ever committed or every sin that you will ever commit has been imputed to Christ. There is no future thing that you need to do to add to the work of Christ, whether it's in this life or purgatory. Because you see, the gospel is in our union with Jesus Christ, our sins are buried. And through his resurrection, we're united to him. And there's nothing more to do. I think this text is clear about this. In fact, I would encourage anybody that says, no, I don't believe that text. I would love to get together with you. I really would. And go, well, explain to me anything other than Christ's substitutionary work because there is no good news if the you gets in there anywhere. So with that in mind, I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Now if you're visiting, the reason we always print the, the text is because we believe there's power in the word of God. It is the word of God. So, now listen to these words. The Word of God, written by the Apostle Paul, moved by the Holy Spirit. And you, speaking of Christians, were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. 
among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now here comes the gospel. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us. Who? Believers. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we get fuzzy a lot. And the reason we get fuzzy is because we do not take you at your word that's written here. Lord, I pray that this morning that everyone would understand that grace is grace and mercy is mercy. There is no mingling grace and mercy. Father, I pray for those especially who know that they've broken their lives so badly. Uh, They've given up a long time ago in trying to meet you halfway. For Lord, who can get rid of their sin? How shall we make payment for what we have done and what we continue to do? So Lord God, we thank you that you have revealed yourself in your word and through Jesus Christ, the only Savior, the only high priest between God and man who has rent the the curtain and has entered into the heavenlies and ever makes intercession for those who are called according to his purposes. Father, I pray for any who are not believers today that you would convince them that they need Jesus for the broken that they can come to you. I pray for the self-righteous, Lord, who, who sins, their great sin is their righteousness that they would repent of their righteousness and that they would come to Jesus Christ, the lover of our soul. Father, I do not have the ability in the remaining time we have to preach your word in a way that would pierce. It must take your spirit. And so, Lord, uh, I pray that you would take these efforts of study. Uh, Lord, that I would say the things that need to be said in the short amount of time that we have and leave undone those things that do not need to be said. Lord, we need you. I need you. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Uh, yesterday morning in this uh, back room here, if you go through those doors, there's a, we call it a fellowship hall. Uh, we had uh, someone came from Atlanta with Great Commission, which is our denominational wing of training, Christian education, and we had some Sunday school teachers, God bless you, who are being trained to, to teach our children. And I saw they had uh, Jerry Joe's coffee in the back, and they had bagels in the back. I did not participate in the training, but I did participate in the coffee and the bagels. I snuck in there and stole some. And uh, while I was uh, stealing the bagels and the coffee, um, I heard him say one thing that is really true. Uh, he said, it's hard to keep people's attention 100% of the time. And I, I accept that. I know how hard it is, especially if you're younger or older. We, I mean, we live in a media-driven culture, right? Uh, there, there's images that you have, and probably maybe some of you junior high kids are already fading out on them. But not only that, but if you're college educated, what my, uh, my observation is college education lasts 30 or 40 years, you're no longer taught to think. You're, you're taught to fill in the blank. Here's the blank, fill in the blank. Make an A, go get a job, make money for what? It used to be you went to college to learn how to think. And if somebody's a Catholic or Presbyterian or Baptist or an atheist or Buddhist or whatever, you take their line of reasoning and you, and you think it through and, it's call, and then you maybe you do apologetics. But, but you see, it's, it's, we don't do that anymore. And so it's very hard to take a congregation this big and to be able to get y'all to stick with what the text is saying. But I tell you what, if there's ever a Sunday, I would want 100 percent of you, a hundred percent of the time, it would be here. If you're international students, we're so you're glad you're here. This is the first time you maybe you've ever heard what Christianity is about. I would like to lay it out there, not only for you, but for maybe people who've been coming to church all their lives, but they've never understood the gospel. And let me tell you how you know you don't understand it. There's no freedom in your life. There's no joy. You're always mad. You're mad at this person. You're mad at that person. And that person did me wrong. And you don't forgive. And I'll tell you, if you don't forgive, I, I, I doubt very seriously you understand the gospel at all. Somebody needs your forgiveness. You know, they've broken, they, they've, they've hurt you or wounded you, and, and, they're not, and you're not going to do it. I would say you know very little about what our text is that we just read. So, so even if you're a hardened, that's hardened, maybe that's a harsh word, even if you're not a Christian, and you're here today because uh, somebody dragged you in here. I'd like to suggest to you that maybe God has brought you in here for the first time to hear the gospel. And at the same time, maybe you've been at Redeemer for 15 years, but you know what? Somehow there's this fear, this deep-lying insecurity. You're not sure where you stand. Then I would suggest that um, you listen to this text as well. Okay, now, now let me tell you what's very interesting. The, the, verses 1 through 10, y'all know that in the Greek, that's just one sentence. Kind of goes on and on and on and on. Paul does that a lot. I, I think Paul sometimes, he just, he just takes off. And he certainly does that here uh, in, in this text. And, uh, and what he's trying to do, and it really breaks up into three parts that so we'll look at uh, here in a minute. But really what he's doing here, okay, he's finished chapter 1. 
And let me tell you, in chapter 1, if you're a Christian, he is saying the reason you are is because, and you can go back and read it, before the world ever began. He predestined you in love in Jesus Christ. He's adopted you into the family. It's a mind blower. And, uh, and God has been doing that throughout the centuries. And he's doing a great work in China right now. Doing a great work in Africa. Uh, maybe not so much in America anymore. I don't know. Uh, but, but God is calling us. And so what he wants to do in chapter 2, okay, so that you do not kind of grow dull, is he wants to remind you from where you've come. Okay, it's kind of like a before and after picture. Y'all have ever seen those before and after pictures? And you look at the after and you go, man, oh man, ain't no way I can get there. But you look, and here's this person, they're out of shape, you know the video. And of course, then they, they give their testimonials, right? Oh, this is what I was, and this is what I am now, and it's changed my life, and I can get dates, and I can, you know, I got the job I always want. I got lots of energy. And maybe they've transformed the outside of their bodies, but we know down deep that's a gospel with a little G. It doesn't satisfy. But you see, what we have in our text is gospel with a capital G, the only good news because everything else out there is about good advice. What you do, and you need to do this, and you need to do that. And might I suggest even many of you who come from our tradition who've lost the sense of the absolute love of Jesus Christ for you. And you fall into works righteousness. And oh, let me tell you, if you don't think you've fallen into that, I get, all you need to do is ask people close to you. Because there's no grace coming from you. There's no mercy. There's no love. Which means there's no gospel. Now here's, here's how this outline breaks, breaks out. And I'm going to spend a little bit of time on chapter, uh, the main point, number one, because I, I just wonder how many people really believe here today that you're dead in your sins. Because I'm going to have to explain what, is it, what does it mean by being dead in your sin. And a lot of you go, I, I, I mean, I'm walking around, I'm, I'm alive. Well, I want to explain that to you. So we're going to talk about being dead in sin. But then um, Paul reminds us of the glorious change created and we're going to see this through God's conversion. What he does if he chooses to have mercy on dead people. And then the last thing is, uh, that I, is, is verse 10. Uh, if you really understand grace and it's really presented right, you go, well, that's too easy, that's too cheap. You, what do you mean? It's all of Christ. And what we're going to see is, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> it leads to a life of unbelievable worth and value. So here we go. The first thing to see from our text is the miserable condition before God's people knew grace. Now let me, let me read that again in case you didn't uh, get it. Notice if you look at your text what the Apostle Paul says. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin. You, speaking of Christians who are now alive through Jesus Christ in union with him, before that, you were dead 
and your trespasses and sins. Would you say that that's a very blunt statement about you this morning if you don't know Christ? You're dead. Now I'm going to explain that in, in just a minute. But what Paul wants to do, I think, is he, is he says, okay, chapter 1 is just glorious, we're united to Christ. But then he comes and he says, now I want you to remember this. You are not somewhat sick, but dead. Now, now can I explain very practically how this works? Um, there is a theology that's out there called natural theology. Uh, uh, and, I, and I think it's great using arguments. I really do. Uh, one of the great... Uh, uh, writers, uh, Thomas Aquinas, he gives the five theistic, ar five theistic arguments. You ever heard that, Thomas Aquinas? Natural theology. And what that says to some of you that are intellectual, that you know what, we can reason with you. Because you're not dead. And we can convince you as to why you ought to believe in Jesus Christ rather than anything else. Now here's what I would suggest. That many of you think that you've become a Christian because you've bought into a good argument. But it doesn't change you, does it? You see, natural theology says that you're reasonable. And the Bible doesn't say you're reasonable. It says you're dead before you know Christ. Now the death that he is speaking of here is spiritual death. And I think the reason Paul wants to take you down first to remember what you were is because later in these verses it says what he does. And what he does is quicken us, make us alive, and we are now, if you are a believer in Christ, seated with Christ. Right now, it doesn't say will be seated. Trust me in the Greek, you are now seated with Christ. Yeah, that, that's very important uh, to understand. So, but, but you can't appreciate that you are now, right now, united to Christ unless you remember that you are united to Adam in his death and you're born, still born dead spiritually. By the way, it's very hard to convince people of this because most of us think we're basically mighty fine people. We do nice things. And again, if you're, I, I will tell you, if you're here and you're not a Christian, there are a lot of you guys I'd much rather hang out with people that I think really know Jesus. Why? Because I think you're nicer. Uh, you're still creating the image of God. You're just dead to God. And you might be already objecting to that, but I think that I can, um, I think I can make that clear. But I think one of the reasons that Paul wants to do this is because he drives uh, to 8 and 9 where he says, so that no man might boast. And you see, if you want to boast, uh, then you're going, hey, look at the before and after. This is before I really got serious about my faith. And now I've exercised my faith, and look at my abs. And you make everybody feel miserable. And you're not real, because you know what? We're always flatty spiritually. But not Jesus. So what does it mean to be dead in sin? What, what does it mean uh, to be spiritually dead? Okay, and this is very important. And I think I'll be able to explain it to you. Well, <clears throat> here's what it means. It means you're dead. It's the same word that the apostle, I mean, Paul uses for human be beings being dead. The body is dead. 
Now, let me explain that. Uh, <clears throat> my Aunt Doris died several weeks ago. I love Aunt Doris. I loved Aunt Doris. I, I couldn't say she was my favorite aunt because I still had a few left, and they were sitting out there. But I can tell you all, unless they're listening to podcasts. Uh, <laughs> but let me tell you why I liked Aunt Doris. You know why I liked her? Well, number one, she was a lot of fun. She loved the Lord, but she wasn't a stick in the mud. She had a hearty laugh, and she just loved people. And, uh, and so we'd have these family gatherings, and, man, there were a bunch of people that came to our family gatherings. But you know what was amazing about Aunt Doris, and this has to do with covenant children, by the way? My Aunt Doris was always interested in me. I'm eight, nine years old, ten years old. And she would, with everybody around, she said, now, how I want to sit down a minute, I want to talk to you. Uh, do you have any girlfriends right now? I'm like, of course, I always got girlfriends. You know, she would ask me about school and what's going on. She's really interested in me as a human being, not just this kid, you know. Well, I hadn't seen Aunt Doris in two or three years. It breaks my heart. You know, the last time I saw Aunt Doris, she's sitting in a box. And she didn't look good, okay? Like, oh, they, don't they look fine? Nobody looks fine dead, okay? Don't ever say that to anybody. Like, are you serious? They, they look terrible. And you're going to look terrible when you're dead. But let me tell you what. Let me tell you what death is spiritually. Her body was dead, and I lost my relationship with her. And Doris, please, I want to talk to you. She's dead. There's no relationship. Now, I want to tell you what it really means to be spiritually dead. When Adam and Eve sinned, God said, the day you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. And guess what? They ate. And guess what? Their bodies didn't die, but they died within. And the essence of what it means to be dead spiritually is you're running from God. And, and then you start putting on fig leaves because you're afraid of him. Because if he finds you, he's going to find out how naked you are. And so we cover up ourselves with being Reformed theologians. Uh, uh, I don't know what the Baptist version is. Maybe going to Wednesday night's supper. Or the Catholic view of if, if, I, if I do what the church tells me to do. I could, I could go on and on. Uh, but, but you see, in reality, we're wanting to hide from God. We're trying to cover up from God. And you see, you're already stripped naked. That's why he gives you the law. To show you that you are exposed and there's no hope that you're dead spiritually. You see? No relationship with God. Now let me ask you for a moment here. Does that, does that resonate with you? It's like, I, you know, I would really like God for, to, to actually ignore me. Because on the one hand, I say I love Jesus, and then on the other hand, you know what? I really like doing what I like to do. I've got my agenda. So what does dead and sin look like? Well, first off, it means you're ignorant of God. <laughs> you know, listen, um... Somebody might go, well, who do you think you are to know God? And I say, well, I, you know, the Bible. And I say, well, tell me who you think God is. And they say, well, I certainly don't believe he's the God of the Bible. And I say, really, why do you not believe in that? Well, my God is the God of love. I don't think he believes in judgment. I don't, think he, I don't believe in hell. There's no, I was no way going to believe in a God that believes in hell. And I say, well, okay, well, where are you getting this information from? 
And you know where they get their information from? Their heart. Well, this is what I think. That's called an opinion. Now, let me ask you something. Would you want to go to a brain surgeon like Jethro uh, in the Beverly Hills Billies, who had a sixth grade education, who had magic marker put neurosurgeon? And, and you commend yourself to him because, after all, he believes he knows what the brain's about and what he can do. Now, let me tell you who you go to. You go to a neurosurgeon who gets the brain. You go to the best, and you put yourself in his hands because it's not a mere opinion, but it's knowledge. Let me ask you this. If you say, well, I don't really believe in the God of the Bible, let me say, do you believe that God is uh, love? I believe that. You believe that? Do you believe that God is good? Do you believe he hates evil? You believe God hates evil? I'm going to tell you, no world do, do deals with evil, but God does. You know how he deals with evil? By bearing that evil upon himself. Because you know what? You're evil. I'm evil. I don't care what you do. I don't care how many times you come in here to preach sermon. I don't care if you're Catholic, Eastern Orthodox. I don't care. Because the text says, apart from God, you're dead in your sin. And the only reason you do all that stuff is to get, keep them off your back. Versus, I want to know him. I love him. I care for him. Now, I, what I'm going to do here is I'm, is I'm going to give you two more of these. And then, uh, because I have another freestanding sermon after Jeff preached, I'm going to come back to this. But I want to, I want to hit this real hard. Uh, and then we'll close. Because I'm concerned about many of you. I'm concerned that you think that believing is conversion. It is not. You can believe all the right things, but if God has not worked in you, you're dead. Belief only comes after you're converted, and according to our text, after you've been raised with Christ, with Him taking the initiative. Tr trust me, Dead people don't make choices. And the reason some of you are still frustrated, it's like, well, if only, I, you know, I've been hearing this, I've been hearing this. I want to, I'll tell you, let me, let me ask you this. Is God obligated to raise you from the dead? He can leave you in your sin. You know why? Because that's where you want to be. So not only is it ignorance of God, but it's also, it means that you're bored with anything spiritual. You're bored with it. Many people tell me that they're not into the organized church. I'm not into organized religion. I'm just a spiritual person. They tell me, well, of course you're a spiritual person. You're made in the image of God. But let me tell you who else is spiritual. Demons. You believe in real evil? Uh, demons are spiritual beings, but they will not be converted. They will not be redeemed. And so I doubt not that, that you might be spiritual. But you know what that means for a lot of you? Man, I don't really want to do any work at the church. I don't want to have to be up there. You know, because when you get involved with other people, you know what, it really exposes you, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Even the greatest of Christians. You get tired, you get weary, and you get involved with each other's lives, and you start griping and complaining because nobody else is doing anything. And, and so, but here's, here's what it means. And, and, I, and I really want to address some of you who are going, man, I'm just not, I'm just bored with it all. 
I, I, I tell you, any, I think anybody that's really been born of God's Spirit, anybody that's been made alive and quickened by, they, they marvel at that. They, they really do. Not because they're good people, but because they're quickened people. Because they've entered into the kingdom of God. They're seated with Christ, and they see all the stuff that's going on in Athens at the horizontal level. It's smoke and mirrors. But you, when you're with some friends and maybe some Christians, they start talking about Christ and, uh, and uh, wanting people to know Jesus or downtown ministries or downtown academy or how do we reach these people across the street. You're not even thinking about that. Those, the people across the street are neighbors. And when somebody starts talking about it, it's just like you want to get up and walk out of the room. Come on, you know, you know what I'm talking about. That's what it means to be spiritually dead. Are you that? You're probably not saved. You're, prob- you're just probably, I mean, maybe you're converted, maybe you know Jesus, but your heart's gotten so hard and you've forgotten the goodness and great- greatness of God. And then one last thing to see here about being dead in sin. And again, I'm sorry I have to cut the sermon short, but uh, we, do, we do communion here. And so you can come back in two weeks. And, and this is going to be a shocker to some of you. It means you hate God. It means you hate God. Listen, either you're alive unto God or you're dead. Now you might say this. Now at this point, so I can go with the fact I'm bored. I, I can go with the fact that maybe I'm ignorant of God. But I don't hate God. And you see, this is why maybe you've never come to Christ. Because you think you're somewhat neutral. It's like, ah, you know, God, whoever he may be, I'm okay with him, you know. I believe in a good man upstairs. Now, you might say that. You might go, well, I don't hate God. But let me tell you what the Bible says if you're not a Christian. For you are yet enemies of God. God sent his son to die for enemies. You know what the essence of being an enemy is? You don't have anything to do with him. And you go, well, I, you know, I'm not, I, I'm not, uh, you know, I don't feel that way. <laughs> but let me read John 1 in, in conclusion, and then, and then I want to pray, and we'll come to communion. Let, let me read what, what John says about Jesus coming to his own people his own people, Jews, for 1,800 years, God pursuing, God pursuing. And now here is God in the flesh, the promised Messiah, and he comes to Israel like he comes to churches by his spirit. He comes here to Redeemer. And you say, well, I don't hate God. But you don't serve him. You don't. And by the way, you remember my thesis is you can't, you can't work your way up. It is the grace of God, which he's willing to be gracious only to those who are willing to go, wow, this is me. Would you have mercy upon me? But listen what John says. The true light, John 1.1, which gives light to everyone. You know what that says? Everyone. But you see, if you're dead... That means you're spiritually dead and you don't want that light because you got things you want to do. The true light was coming into the world and he was in the world and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. 
He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Would you say that's blindness? Here's God in his grace, and he comes to us. And here's what Jesus would say to you today as he comes to you. I'm just telling you, if you're going, man, I, God, would you have mercy upon me? Of course he will. But he doesn't want you to mingle it with your works. He wants you to come simply as you are. And if you don't come any other way, you'll never come at all. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. But if you're here today, and you, maybe you're one or two people, I don't know, and you're going, I'm dead. Then Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. And he will unite you with all his righteousness. And you'll be seated with him. He will be merciful, and you'll be free. Free. Past, present, future, free. Does that mean that uh, you'll sin tomorrow? Of course it does. But it means this, you're united to him, and he was united to those sins, past, present, and future on the cross. Then you can start forgiving people. And wouldn't that be cool to be able to forgive people? To be merciful, to love people. Can you do that? Can you forgive your wife for what she's done to you? Can you forgive your husband? Can you forgive your parents for the bad parents they were? Can you forgive your children for all the stuff they've caused you and the money they've cost you? You know, is that not a freedom? But you cannot do that if you're not alive. No law can make you do that. Jesus can. The Holy Spirit can. Oh, that God would change hearts today to know the love of Christ. And by the way, you know, if you're in a relationship with somebody or you think about marrying somebody and you're dating somebody and, and they, they don't grasp this, I would pull off pretty quick. Because you see, the person that you can have a relationship with is one who's always going, well, I was dead, and now I'm alive. Let's pray together. Lord, we pray you bless our time of communion together. I pray that we would not be in a rush, that we would ponder the majesty of the gospel, that every view out there is performance. And the gospel is, you cannot perform your dead, but I will make you alive. Lord, would you make us alive today through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Those serving communion will come forward. We're going to have communion and then we'll sing a hymn.